So we're, we're, uh, we're coming back this morning just to kind of final installment of this little Christmas series that we've done in John chapter 4 and Jesus' uh, Jesus' encounter with this Samaritan woman. And the, the question that goes begging in this section, I think, is, is, is what can you see? Can you see? What can you see? Jesus has come, but can you see? Um, I, I've got a vague memory. Um, in fact, I meant to check this with my brother yesterday when I saw him. But I've got this vague memory from my childhood of, of my, my brother and I uh, going to buy an ice lolly from a van on Dartmoor. And my brother looked at the pictures of the ice lollies. You know, they were kind of on the window of the van. And he was kind of having a look through and he decided he wanted the red one. And so the man rummaged around in the freezer for a while, but he came up with like a green one. And my brother said, no, sorry, I, I wanted the red one. And so the man rummaged around a little bit more, and, and he came up with a different one, but that wasn't a red one either. So again, my brother said, you know, he's quite a patient guy. He said, no, I'm sorry, I, I asked for the red one. And, and again, the man rummaged around in the freezer a, a little bit more. But when he came out the third time, and it still wasn't a red one, it was a yellow one or whatever it was, my brother said something to him like, what's the matter? Are you colorblind? And the man said, uh, actually, yes, I am. Um, which we thought was quite amusing as, as kids, that, 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 that a man who was colorblind was serving multicolored ice lollies in the, in, the, in the back of a van. But kind of looking back on it now, I'm sure it wasn't too much of a problem for him, was it? I mean, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, a bit of colorblindness, well, you know, it's probably frustrating, isn't it? But it's, it's not a particularly serious condition. Real blindness, of course, that's a much more serious condition, isn't it? But I want to suggest that spiritual blindness is even more serious. Which means that the question this final passage, I think, in John 4 raises for us of of whether we can see, what can we see here? I think that's a serious question for us to ponder on. And, And that's because this final section here is all about how we respond to Jesus. And how we respond to him will depend on what we've truly seen. What have we truly seen? Now, John's been showing us, of course, uh, if you've been following us through uh, uh, these kind of dips in and out of John that we've done, he's been showing us, for example, in chapter 1 of his gospel, that Jesus has come. He's come as God in the flesh to dwell among us. He's shown us in chapter 2 that he's come as God's Messiah, God's, God's long-promised king who's come to, to bring in, to herald in his kingdom. And then he's been showing us in chapters 3 and 4 that he's come to offer life, life with him for eternity, forever life, as we are born again and as we're washed clean and as we're given God's spirit within us. And that is for anyone and everyone who will believe in him. That's what he's come to, to, to offer us. And, and what does he want from us? Well, we saw that last time, didn't we? Chapter 4 has been telling us that what God wants from us is actually worship, which, which is not an hour a week of religion, but the total submission of our whole selves for our whole lives wherever we are. So as we come to this final uh, section of Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman, the question is, can you see? Can you see? And, and firstly, look in verses 27 to 30. Can you see Jesus for who he is? Can you see Jesus for who he is? Because I think this Samaritan woman here 
she now can, can't she? She does, I think, see Jesus for who he is, but can you see? Um, because so far, of course, in, in, in chapter 4, what John's been showing us through this, this conversation with the, the, the Samaritan woman is that God's promised king has come. He's come to bring in his kingdom, not just for respectable religious uh, Jews like Nicodemus in chapter 3, um, but for disreputable, irreligious Samaritans like the woman at the well here in chapter 4. So if we wanted to know why Jesus says in chapter 4, verse 4, that he had to make his journey through Samaria... Well, we've seen that perhaps it's because the offer of entry into God's kingdom through believing in Jesus and his work on the cross is an offer that crosses over all of the boundaries of of race and gender and class and religious or moral background. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done, uh, whether you're a respectable Jew or an immoral Samaritan. Jesus has come to give membership of God's kingdom to, to anyone and everyone who believes in him. But now, look, as we, as we pick up the story, we see that the conversation with the woman comes to an end as Jesus' disciples return. Uh, if you remember from, from verse 8, the disciples had gone into the town, hadn't they, to try and buy food. Now they come back, verse 27, and we're told that they're amazed to find Jesus talking with a woman. And, and we've noted before, haven't we, women had very little status uh, in, in their society, so it was considered largely a, a waste of time uh, for, for a teacher, a, a rabbi such as Jesus, to, to talk with a woman. And this was a, a sort of despised Samaritan woman uh, as well. But of course, Jesus takes a different view of the woman, doesn't he? And, and his conversation with her has made her realize who Jesus is, such that when their conversation gets interrupted by the disciples' return, look, verse 28, she goes off into the town to tell people about Jesus and to urge them to come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So, so do you see what she's discovered here because firstly she's discovered that Jesus knows who she is I, I, I reckon it must have been with some uh, some considerable shame that the woman goes and tells the people of the town that Jesus has told me everything I ever did don't you think in other words she's, she's saying Jesus knows all about my sin all my failed relationships, all my multiple husbands, the fact that the man I'm currently with is, is, is not my husband. See, one, one notable thing that verse 6 tells us is that this woman was collecting her water at the sixth hour. And, and the sixth hour was midday, when the sun was at its hottest. And so most people would be in the shade of their homes at that hour, uh, not, not out collecting water. They would do that in the early morning or, or in the late evening. But this woman collects her water at midday. She collects it when she doesn't have to face the stares and the gossip of others because of her lifestyle. But here she is now telling the whole town to come and meet a man who knew all about me, who knew all of my sin and my failings. Can you imagine what that must have meant for her to do that? I think that would have been deeply humiliating, don't you? Because, friends, we can be so good, can't we, at masking our sin by being respectful around other people. And, and it's painful, isn't it, to have our sin exposed. But this woman, 
she's been changed by Jesus, hasn't she? Jesus has shown her who she is. Jesus has confronted her with her sin. And now she's telling others what Jesus has told her. I mean, what a change, right? But I think we can see why, can't we? And it's because by revealing to her who she is, he's revealing to her who he is. You see, who could know about her like that apart from God himself? You know, a doctor might be able to tell us what's wrong with us physically, but who apart from God can tell us what's wrong with us spiritually? And so whilst I think there's some hesitation in her words, could this be the Christ? Could it, could it really be him? I, th- I think her actions suggests that she's accepted what Jesus has told her. Do you remember verse 25? She says, the Messiah will make everything clear when he comes. To which Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. In other words, I'm the Messiah, God's God's rescuer, God's king. And I think her actions here, as well as her words, suggest she's pretty convinced that he's right. In other words, she's, she's saying, come and see this guy. I think I found the Christ. So, so he's, he's shown this woman her need of rescue and, and that he is the rescuer that God promised to send. He, he's the one who, who can give her living water, spiritual life, as she believes in him. And friends, the Bible's clear that we all need to get, this, get to this same point, the, the point that she's got to. Because if, if we don't see our need of being rescued, we'll never see Jesus as a rescuer. We won't see him for for who he is. But if we stop covering up our sin and and pretending that it doesn't exist or, or that we can take care of it ourselves and instead honestly face up to it and our need to be rescued from it, well, then we can start to see that Jesus is the rescuer that we need and that his death on the cross is the rescue that we need. Friends, when we see that this is who I really am, and this is who Jesus really is, well, that's life-changing for us. And it's life-changing for this woman, isn't it? We can see that because a despised social outcast now heads off into the town in order to tell the very people who would have despised her to come and meet Jesus because I think I found the Christ. And so can I ask you this morning, have you seen that yet? Can you see Jesus for who he is? But then as we look at the next section of the passage, look, verses 31 to 38, John's concern here, I think, is not so much to see Jesus for who he is, but for us to see people as Jesus sees them. And you'll notice the big sort of theme that Jesus talks about in this section is, is one of harvest. Um, and, the, and the word harvest is it's, it's used in the Bible metaphorically in a, in a couple of different ways. So firstly, the, 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 the harvest of God's coming kingdom. In other words, the, the abundance, the fruitfulness of the new creation that God is, is bringing in. It's going to be like a massive harvest. That, that's one way it's being used. 
But the words also uh, uh, used, and, and this is how Jesus is using it here, I think, as a picture of the, uh, the, the, the spiritual work that God is doing now of gathering together the people who will inhabit that new creation, that coming kingdom. Did, did you see? In other words, what God is doing in the world is he's gathering people who will live with him in his kingdom. And that's described in the Bible as, as the work of gathering up harvest. So that's how the word's being used here. And, and with that in mind, pick up the story, look, chapter 4, verse 30, where, where the woman heads straight into the town. She starts announcing to everyone that she's met this guy who has told her everything that she's ever done. So could he be the Christ? Could this be God's promised king come to bring in his kingdom? And this woman's testimony has caused the people of the town to leave the town, look, verse 30, to leave the town en masse and head out across the fields towards the well where Jesus was with his disciples. Have you got that? Verse 30, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Okay, so just hold that in your head. And meanwhile... Verse 31, back at the well, Jesus' disciples have come back from buying food. So they've got their meal deal or or their KFC buckets or whatever they've got. They're urging Jesus to eat, to which Jesus replies, a bit enigmatically, I think, verse 32, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Which leaves the disciples kind of scratching their heads because they assume that, that, that this means that while they've been off queuing up for the Boots meal deal in the town, someone else has brought them some food. Verse uh, uh, 33, the disciples ask, has anyone brought him something to eat? In other words, you know, is there, a, is there a corner shop around here somewhere that we've missed? Has, has somebody got him a McDonald's while we were queuing up for a KFC or, or whatever it might was, but whatever it might be. But, but Jesus, he's got obviously something a lot deeper in mind, hasn't he? Verse 34, my food, he says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus is saying that what nourishes him, his, his food, is doing God's will and God's work. In other words, it's that work of gathering up a harvest, gathering up a people for himself to inhabit his coming kingdom. That's the work he's just been doing with the woman at the well, isn't it? He's been gently exposing her sin, and he's been offering her living water, new spiritual life in him. That's my food, Jesus says. It's to do the will and the work of God. It's to gather a harvest of people to occupy his kingdom. And the time for that work is now. Verse 35 Do not say, yet there are four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, agriculturally speaking, you expect a gap, don't you, of about four months between planting and harvesting, between sowing and reaping. But Jesus says here that when it comes to a harvest of of people... Um, for, for God's kingdom, well, don't think in those terms, but rather, verse 35, look, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. You see, he's telling them to lift up their eyes 
and see the harvest. And friends, let me ask you, as his disciples do that, as they lift up their eyes and look, what are they going to see? Well, what they're going to see is a town full of Samaritans coming across the fields on their way to listen to Jesus. Do you see Jesus' point? There's the harvest. You're wanting me to feed my face, he says, but let me tell you that my food is to do the will and the work of my father. What's food for me is something way more more spiritual and significant than a KFC. It's about gathering a harvest of people for God's kingdom and look time of harvest is now. Verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving his wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. It's harvest time now. And of course, that's what John's been showing us, isn't it? In, in, in his gospel so far, that Jesus is God's king and he's come to bring in his kingdom. And so Jesus is saying that the harvest time isn't ages away. The harvest time is now because I am here and I've come in order to gather a harvest for eternity. And friends, that's what his work on the cross is all about, isn't it? What he's come to do. He's come to die in our place and take our sin on himself, the sin that separates us from God and keeps us out of his kingdom so that we can be forgiven as we believe in him And have his spirit placed within us to give us new life and entry into God's kingdom. And and so what this reminds us of, uh, I think, is that we too, friends, live in harvest time. In other words, in, in the age of the gospel, in the period of history, after Jesus has come the first time to herald in his kingdom, and before he comes the second time to complete his kingdom. In the gap, right, in this gospel age, it's harvest time. In other words, it's not only a time when God's word is to be sown, you know, a time to tell people about Jesus, but it's the time when there will be a harvest of people that God will gather in to belong to his kingdom. That's the time that Jesus wants his disciples here to see that they are in. And friends, we, his disciples today, across the world and across this island, are in the same time. Which means that right now, here in Ride or wherever you live, it's harvest time. And God is summoning people to turn to his son for the forgiveness of their sins and have life in his kingdom right here, right now. And and friend, if if you're not a Christian yet this morning, maybe that's something you want to respond to. And if you are a Christian this morning, then it's something he wants us to join him in. As you tell people about him and as you call people to come to him. So Jesus wants his disciples to know that it's harvest time now. But he also wants them to know who's included in the harvest. Look, Because the, the people he's, he's telling his disciples to look at as they come streaming over the hills in their droves to come and listen to Jesus, who are they? They're a bunch of Samaritans. People of a different race, different religious background. 
people who were despised for their low morality, people they considered rank outsiders, people they wouldn't want to socially mix with, but people who Jesus sees as a harvest of people who are ready to recognize and respond to him and so be gathered into his kingdom. In other words, he's come to reach out across every cultural, religious, class, moral divide and gather people for his kingdom by calling them to believe in him. And that's what the Samaritans discover, isn't it? Have a look at what they say in, in verse uh, 42. That They say to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. Friend, can I ask you, you know, while we're on the subject of seeing, <laughs> do you see people as Jesus sees people? Um, think about the people you know. Th- think about the people you meet at, at work or at school or in your family or in your neighborhood or through the ministries of the church here. Do, do you look at them and think, oh, they could never come to know Jesus? You know, because he, he just loves his money and his possessions too much. He's way too materialistic. Or, or she doesn't even believe that God exists. Or, or he's got such an immoral lifestyle. Or she never shows any interest in God at all. Are you tempted to look at people and, and see not a harvest, but, but like a barren field? Because, friends, we'll never bother talking to people about Jesus unless we see them as he sees them. I mean, what, what would we have made of the Samaritan woman with her five failed marriages? Would we have thought it worthwhile even to start a conversation with her? Do we see people as Jesus sees people? Yes, lost people in need of rescue, but also a harvest of people ready to be gathered in. Is that how we see people? Friends, seeing people as Jesus sees them is what is going to encourage us to talk to people about Jesus. I'd suggest. But John's got a bit more seeing um, for us to do here, hasn't he? He wants us to see Jesus for who he is, and he wants us to see people as he sees them. But he also, look, 39 to 54, he wants us to see how to respond rightly. And, And notice here what that response is from these Samaritans. It is that they believe. Uh, Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him and they asked him to stay with them, he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. And there's, do you notice there's like a chain of events that's going on there, isn't there? Jesus has spoken his word to the Samaritan woman. And then she goes off and speaks Jesus' word to the people about him. And then some people believe as she tells them about Jesus. And then the townspeople come, look, and, and Jesus stays with them for two more days and speaks his word to them With the result, verse 41, that many more believed because of his word. In fact, look at what they say in verse 42. He says, it's no longer because of you that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know. 
that Jesus is the saviour of the world. So, so do you see how people are harvested? Yeah, how God gathers people in to his kingdom. Do you see that? Because he does it as people hear and then believe or trust his word. Actually, that's something that uh, uh, John has told us already. He told us back in chapter 2. In fact, fact, if you've got your Bible open, you could could quickly flick back to chapter 2, verse 19, if you want to, um, where where Jesus, you remember the passage, Jesus foretells his resurrection from the dead. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And and John adds this little note, look in verse 21, to say that what Jesus is talking about is the the temple of his body. Uh, And then he adds in in verse uh, 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Do you see? John, John was showing us there what true disciples do, which is that they believe the scriptures and they believe the word of Jesus. In other words, true, true disciples, the, the harvest of people that God's gathering for, for his kingdom, they're not people who believe in Jesus from merely witnessing his signs. But they're people who hear and believe his word. If, if you're still in chapter 2, you can see this in verse 23 uh, as well. When Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. In other words, he knows what people are like. He knows that believing in him simply on the basis of miracles just isn't enough. And then when you get back to chapter 4 here and the, the belief of these Samaritans, well, they don't even witness any signs. They just hear Jesus' word and they believe in him. Do you see? Any uh, uh, witnessing signs and wonders, even when done by Jesus himself, doesn't produce genuine faith. It's not signs and wonders that produce genuine faith. It's as people hear and respond and trust in God's word that they are gathered in as a harvest into God's kingdom. So so the question for us this morning might be, are you willing this morning to trust in God's word, in what he says, and so become a genuine part of the harvest that Jesus is gathering in? Will you see that the right way to respond to Jesus is to trust in his word, in what he says, and believe in him? And actually, John makes this point again in the last little section of the chapter, look, from verse 46. You you notice that's kind of tagged on the back end there of of chapter 4. Not in a random way, but in a very purposeful way, because Jesus leaves the Samaritans He comes back to the village of Cana in Galilee, where he previously turned the water into wine, if you remember, back in chapter 2. And when he arrives in Cana, he's made aware that just down the road in Capernaum, there was an official son who was critically ill. He was at the point of death, verse 47. And so he asks Jesus if Jesus will come to Capernaum and heal him, to which Jesus replies with a bit of exasperation uh, in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Which kind of sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? The guy's just concerned for his son. He's at the point of death. But it's worth noticing that the word you there is plural. 
So he's saying, unless you lot see signs and wonders, you won't believe. And, and Jesus' exasperation there, I think, is, is with the Jews generally, who, who just like we saw back in chapter 2, they're always wanting to see signs before they'll believe. That's what exasperates Jesus. So when the man says it again, verse 49, please come down before my child dies, Jesus doesn't agree to go and do a sign, does he? He simply says to him, verse 50, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. You see, the man took Jesus at his word. And that, friends, is the way that God gathers people into his kingdom. He harvests them as they hear and trust his word. And, and, and over and over again in this gospel, we find John wants us to see that the right way to respond to Jesus and so to be added to the harvest of people that he's gathering is to trust his word. And that's what the official did here, isn't it? He took Jesus at his word, which we discover was entirely the right thing to do because, verse 51, as he was traveling on his way to Capernaum, he was met by his servants and told that his son was recovering. And when he asked his servants what time his son had started to get better, they said to him, it was yesterday at the seventh hour, which was exactly the time, verse 53, at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So, friends, do you see this, this, this final little scene here that, that marks the close of the chapter? It's, it's, like, it's like a little summary, really, of, of what these chapters have been all about. That, that Jesus has come to, to, to gather a harvest of people to inhabit his kingdom. So, can I ask you, you know, this Christmas time, when we remember that Jesus has come, what can you see? What can you see? Jesus has come, but are you seeing Jesus for who he is? That he is God's promised king, and he's come to bring in his kingdom. That he's God's son, he's God in the flesh, who's come as the the rescuer, whose death on the cross in our place provides the rescue that we so desperately need. Can you see? Are you seeing people as Jesus sees them, as a harvest of people? for God's kingdom, that that God is gathering here and now from every kind of background, including yours? Are you seeing the right way to respond to Jesus, which is not to demand signs before you'll believe, but rather it's to listen to and believe and place your trust in his word? If you're not yet a Christian this morning, could I urge you to keep listening to Jesus through his word? And to keep asking him to help you believe it and trust it. He will. And and if you're already a Christian this morning. And you've seen Jesus for who he is. And you've responded to him in that way. Well will you see people as Jesus sees them. Not barren fields who are impervious to the gospel. But as fields that are ripe for harvesting now. And that are tool to do that. Is his word. Let's pray. Shall we? Father, we thank you so much for, um, for these powerful chapters of your word that it's been our privilege to, to read and open up over um, these last few weeks. Um, please would you help us, help us to keep listening 
to Jesus' word and to trust it for ourselves. And then to have the confidence to share it with others as the powerful means through which you, by your spirit, will gather a harvest of people for your kingdom. All of these things we pray in Jesus' name.